The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, and ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key, not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Joe Schuldenrein with another edition of Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. And today's program is really at the, uh, I would say, at the cutting edge of trying to differentiate what what is myth, what is reality, and what are the pathways of 21st century archaeology from the perspective of the people who are training to pursue this field uh, in this uh, 21st century, in the early phases of the, of the 21st century. We have heard on previous programs a variety of uh, perspectives on archaeological training uh, from professors, from cultural resources and heritage management professionals, where the status of education is, how it has changed in the past 15 or 20 years, and it has done so monumentally and in ways that many of us who trained 30 years ago would not recognize today. And uh, the voice that has not yet been heard is the voice of the graduate students and the uh, upcoming generation of archaeologists who will be facing a variety of career choices uh, in the next few years that are unlike those that have traditionally been pursued in the field and especially by those of us who had in the past pursued training as PhDs and who have gone through the system. My guests today are three very well-spoken young, young people in the, in the profession. Um, I would like to introduce them very briefly. My first guest is uh, Kyle Bosinski, who is a doctoral student at Washington State University and a National Science Foundation graduate research fellow. Uh, Esteban Fernandez is a recent graduate of the University of Colorado's Master of Arts program in archaeology. And finally, Ms. Erin Baxter is a doctoral student and graduate teaching instructor at the University of Colorado Boulder as well. Um, welcome all of you to the program. I'm very happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. And I'd like to open by asking each one of you, and I'll address you by first name because this is this is an informal program, and I'd like to keep it as informal as possible. What got you into archaeology? How you envisioned your graduate training, and basically what your interests are, and what you see uh, is sort of your immediate 
career direction as you uh, pass into trying to finalize your graduate career? I know that's a whole lot of stuff, but let's let's get it started by just getting you into how you how you uh, got interested in archaeology and how you made a decision to go to grad grad school and how that's working out for you. Uh, Kyle, why don't you give us a start on that? Well, actually, I, I had sort of an eclectic way of coming into the field. I started off uh, undergrad, not really knowing what I wanted to do, but I started off as a physics major. Um, and in physics, uh, we had some facilities at Notre Dame where I was able to do um, pixie photon or proton-induced X-ray emissions analysis. And by that point, I had already uh, started taking some anthropology courses, um, and I was able to get into the archaeometry side of of archaeology and sort of fell in love with it. I, I viewed it as applied physics. And so when I was applying for a graduate program, um, I really uh, was looking for programs that had a strong archaeometry component. And uh, in Washington State University has good archaeological sciences training. Um, and that's why I came here. So your original motivation was essentially to go from a natural science focus into a more applied uh, position where you could actually apply natural science techniques into archaeology, but this is not the traditional, uh, you were intrigued by Native American finds, but you were more of a scientist and you were trying to move it into, into an applied direction that way, correct? That's right. It was actually a cultural anthropology course that got me into the anthropology major in the first place. And then I just found that archaeology, uh, of the four fields, I felt that archaeology was the one where I could apply my uh, natural sciences training um, best, I suppose. And I, and I got very interested in it, but I was sort of a latecomer in terms of my interest. Esteban, what about you? Well, I think like many other archaeologists, I had a, I had a pretty big interest in the past early on. You know, I was always kind of the odd kid reading books on mummies and pyramids and things like that. But, you know, that interest didn't really materialize into a potential career until I got to, until I began my undergrad. And, you know, I started off as a pre-med track major and uh, I, I just took, I, I saw the class anthropology and it looked interesting. And once I finished taking that class, I knew that it was exactly for me. And after that, everything just kind of flowed into place, really. And your specialty is? Uh, Mesoamerican archaeology. And specifically prehistory or more classic? Uh, um, well, I'm particularly focused on late post-classic Central Mexico and the Aztec Empire. So you have a pretty strong, strong regional focus. Yeah, it's, it's very, you know, archaeology is, can be very compartmentalized. And yeah, my focus is very, very uh, centered in, around one region. And finally, Erin Baxter, what about you? Oh, I think I'm pretty typical, and I found something in the backyard and always thought it was a, a, f a fun thing to, to feel and to touch history. But um, I also was uh, similar to Kyle in the sense that I was pre-med until I happened on an anthropology course and went and uh, spent a summer in Tunisia and was hooked forever. Um, but I also found not just the appeal of the science and the sto stories of the past and humanizing the past, but I also loved my colleagues, and I loved um, sitting around a campfire and speculating about what prehistory would have been like um, and the collaborative nature and just sort of fun-loving nature that most archaeologists have as well. So that really sort of pushed me towards a career as much as did the science um, and the exploration.
And so I'm getting from all of you that uh, you were very, very motivated to do this, and presumably that started somewhere in your undergraduate career and continued directly uh, into your graduate training. Now, let me ask you, Kyle, did you, did you have a pro program picked out uh, once you were done with your undergraduate career? Did you have a gap in your training? Um, how did that work out for you? There was no gap in my training. Um, I did apply to several different programs, but really uh, my best fit was here at Washington State University. And that was because, like Aaron said, it was because of the people, uh, mainly the professors that I met as an undergrad who had connections, got me hooked in with the research community here and my advisor, Tim Kohler. Um, and and I, uh, I sort of forged that connection, applied, got accepted, and then this was uh, this was the place where I felt like I should be. I did stay on straight through, though. I had a, a brief summer interlude where I was an intern at the Field Museum, um, your old stomping ground, I think I read. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but, that, but that was it. I came straight into it and have been uh, nose to the grindstone since. Esteban, what about you? Yeah, much like Kyle, I, I went straight into it, and I received, uh, you know, mixed, uh, mixed emotions about going straight into it. Some people have told me it's better to take some time off. Some others have told me to, you know, if you really want it, then just go for it right off the bat. But at least in my case, I ended up, you know, graduating, uh, finishing my undergraduate career early, and right off the bat, I knew I wanted to continue. So, you know, the next academic year, I was already in grad school. And Aaron, I gather from you, you were also very focused pretty early on, and you've been going pretty much straight through. No, actually, I haven't. I I, um, I finished undergraduate, and then I sort of wondered a bit and uh, worked for the National Trust uh, up in Montpelier on the East Coast, which is James Madison's house, um, and worked for the National Park Service for a number of years. And then I settled at a nonprofit that actually uh, conducts archaeological research and teaches members of the public from kids up to adults. Um, called Crow Canyon Archaeological Center in the Southwest, and I worked there for for seven years as a uh, field instructor and a laboratory instructor to those students, which was great fun. But then I had a I'm having an early midlife crisis, and that's what's led me back to graduate school, so that I can try new things um, in the same field. Uh, let me ask you a little bit, Aaron, about midlife crisis and where you see. The, well, you know, you're a little a little young for that, uh, but but. Uh, I'd like to get a little bit of a perspective from all of you, and I'd like to start with you, Aaron, since you've had some involvement uh, with some formal organizations in this regard. How you see uh, the graduate program that you're in uh, contributing to your development as a professional, how you see the profession evolving, and uh, ultimately, and I think this is uh, an issue that we'll all have to look at. You will certainly have to look at. I've already looked at it because I'm sort of not. I won't say winding down, but um, I'm certainly um, been working in this field for a long time, and I've seen these the evolution of so many changes in this profession. How do you see the relationship between how your training is being? is being followed by you yourself and how it's being done by your professors and what you see as your career objectives and whether or not you feel you can pursue them within the context of contemporary archaeology and the job market. Is that all? Um, That's well, it. I, I, I have to, if you don't mind, just take a step back and say that archaeology hasn't been sort of a formal profession for 
for very long, maybe just a little over 100 years. So a lot of the people who trained me um, didn't necessarily have formal degrees in archaeology or postgraduate degrees, but nevertheless were extraordinarily skilled in, in, the, in what they did and what they knew and the experiences that they had. But as the field becomes more formalized um, in the 21st century, I do think education goes part and parcel with your ability to do more in the field. So having um, a bachelor's degree allows you to be a, a what they call a shovel bum and do lots of different projects and, that, and maybe be a crew chief and that sort of thing. A master's, you have more responsibility, a PhD, of course, more, and the ability to teach and direct projects and the like. So um, I loved working at Crow Canyon, but with a bachelor's degree, your professional development is is limited to some extent by by your formal professional um Status and and two, but but at the same time, I think graduate school is fantastic because it teaches you sort of to look beyond just the trench that you're in, um, and you start to look at trends and apply theory and become anthropological archaeologists, um, where you are more than just uh, just a shovel bomb. And not to say that shovel bombs aren't and a lot of them, extraordinary archaeologists as well, but it sort of opens your eyes to the wider world and the broader applications of archaeology, and that's what I love about going to graduate school and being able to see those trends and have um, colleagues from across the, the world who are dealing in different regions and different problems and different using different technologies to answer these sort of enigmatic questions of the past. Um, mm-hmm. So that sort of opened up my eyes to what the possibilities are, and from that I would love sometimes to continue... Um, to finish, God willing, and then maybe someday teach um, and to someone who uh, who might be just as interested as I was in sort of these bigger questions. And we'll take a brief break here, and we'll come back uh, with our three fledgling archaeologists, uh, graduate students, after these words. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're 
listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-goarc.com. Now, back to the program. This is Joe Schuldenrein, and we're back with uh, our unique program this afternoon. We are speaking to graduate students, the future of our profession, basically, and we are trying to look at how cleanly or how carefully their career aspirations are being met by the, their training programs and how they see their careers evolving in the context of a very rig- vig- series of very rigorous training programs. And I'd like to turn to you, Esteban, because in your bio it says that you would like to take a, a brief break from your studies. You have already achieved your master's degree. And I was just curious why you made a decision to break and uh, what 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 is uh, sort of tugging at you as you proceed and uh, decide whether or not you want to pursue a PhD or uh, pursue some other course? Yeah, I guess out of the three of us, I am the odd one out because I'm the one wanting to take a break. Uh, but you know, in in essence, the reason behind my wanting to take a little break is the fact that, like I previously said, I did undergraduate early. I finished it early, and then I moved on over grad school. And, uh, you know, when you look at the academic job market, uh, particularly for me since um, I'm not too interested in, um, in, in doing CRM archaeology, um, you know, my, one of my only routes really is academia. And uh, as we all know, the, I mean, most job markets are very difficult right now, but academia in the job market is very dismal. So when you combine the very extensive uh, coursework plus the, you know, dismal job market, it made me want to take a step back and look at other options. And aside from that, I, I really just wanted to, you know, explore any other uh, possibilities or, or ways I could apply my, my degree to. And what kind of possibilities would these be? In other words, what kind of career pathways are you entertaining at this point? Yeah, that seems to be the question I've been getting a lot lately from friends and family, actually. But uh, the great thing about the graduate program I was in is that, you know, I I feel capable of doing a lot of things that, you know, may or may not involve archaeology. I think that I left this program a far of a you know far better critical thinker. I mean, much better of a writer, and I think I could apply those skills to, you know, practically anything. So, like I said, I mean, right now, everything's kind of a huge question mark, and I'd just like to see where, you know, where the road takes me and what appeals to me. So that's what's so important about this year off that I plan on taking. I mean, I still plan on on keeping in touch with archaeology. I plan on writing some articles out of my thesis, staying very current with everything that's going on, but just really keeping an eye out for what else could be out there right now. Okay, Kyle, Kyle, what about you? Where do you see your career moving, and how close of a fit is your training program with what you're planning to do and how you're uh, planning to follow it? Well, you know, I have to say that the the world's, 
um, of CRM and academic archaeology and uh, and the in-between, they're just coming closer together because we're all hitting some of the same sort of problems um, with how to organize the massive amounts of data that we have so far, um, with how to do large-scale uh, research projects that allow us to look at cultural change over large uh, regions. And so in my in my training, I've been focusing a lot on on those types of tasks, on organizing uh, large amounts of archaeological data, doing collections research, um, and solving some of these uh, organizational problems that that really tether into the work that both uh, academic and CRM archaeologists do, and and archaeologists in the public sector, say for the National Park Service, are working for the state. So I'm I'm actually interested in positioning myself to go into uh, the CRM or the public sector side um, to help to help with that process. I was at the Colorado Council of Professional Archaeology meetings uh, just this last spring, and Richard Wilshusen, who's the state archaeologist of Colorado, is really uh, moving this forward, redoing that state database, making it geospatial, and he's interested in working with. Um, the other four corner states, especially if not all the states, uh, to sort of get those data sets uh, working with one another so that people who are interested in four corners archaeology, for instance, uh, really can, can easily access um, data on archaeological sites uh, beyond state boundaries. And, and I want to help facilitate that. Uh, you raise a, a, certainly a very interesting point. I, I guess it's no secret that um, uh, the world, I, you call it CRM, obviously, uh, cultural mm-hmm. resource management. Um, keep in mind that we are speaking to a larger public audience yes, that sir. doesn't ne- necessarily know what these acronyms are, but uh, I, I, I hope certainly that all of you recognize that the balance between academia and what's known as cultural resource management has shifted dramatically over the past 15 years and that uh, as academia shrinks, CRM is expanding greatly. And I'm just curious whether or not you feel that your programs are adequately addressing the fact that the employment potential and the employment gap is moving very, very strongly in that direction. Um, Erin, do you have any thoughts on that? I, I do. <laughs> I think that CRM groups, I think I agree with what both you and Kyle said about the merging of academia and CRM to the benefit of both um, fields. Um, my interests lie in, in academia, but um, having worked on uh, cultural resource management projects in, in my youth and sort of coming up through the, um, the rungs of archaeology, um, I think they're both invaluable to the profession and they're both here to stay. And the more that um, they... Uh, collaborate with one another and uh, share ideas and practices and technology, the better off we'll be. So I I wholeheartedly agree with that. But do you see your program as uh, guiding you, certainly in terms of a career track, or do they leave it up to you to uh, make that decision? Uh, Do they prepare you for the realities that may be coming up the road, or does that not phase you at at this point in your career? Because I remember when I was a graduate student, it was a totally different world, and, and, and everybody just sort of felt that they were going to go into an academic scenario. And, of course, uh, as time goes by, that, that became less and less of a reality. And um, I know that my colleagues 
Um, certainly are probably the very last generation in which in which academia really was the the primary vehicle for for employment and I was wondering whether or not you felt that your faculty is informing you of that fact and is moving your program in the direction where you might have to uh, make that career choice down the road I do or this is still be right i I do yes. I think but between freshman year and graduate school the the wonderment of academia is, is beaten slowly out of you by the attrition rates and the realization that there's, there's 150 applicants for every, you know, single academic job. Um, but at the same time, sort of, they train you for whatever you wish to do. And I think the, the curricula is, is, um, is broad enough and is um, multispectral enough to allow for both CRM and academic scholars to be trained in the same classes. And at, at, at Colorado, they teach us... Um, a, a class called Archaeology and Contemporary Society, where we t- we have specialists in cultural resources management, state archaeologists, museum specialists. All the array of fields um, are open to us as possibilities for careers, um, and we're exposed in that sense. So I do think the training is is adequate enough, and the and the field element is strong. Esteban, what about you? I mean, you had mentioned earlier that you really didn't didn't look at a at, at a CRM perspective. Um, I know that you are focused on Mesoamerican uh, research and in in uh, in Mexico, and I'm trying to get a feel for how you how you're going to approach this this interim period where you are you going to decide whether or not you're really just going to pursue an academic. Uh, perspective or an academic track, or whether or not you might overhaul the whole thing and say, okay, I'm going to do what exactly? Yeah, I mean, first, uh, I think Aaron is completely right. I think that at least at the University of Colorado, we have gotten a a complete, you know, we've been presented all the options that could possibly exist for archaeologists. And um, while I have been familiar with, um, you know, CRM has always been an option. It's just not something that has, you know, particularly caught my eye yet. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with it or anything like that. It's just, um, it's probably mainly because I have actually, unlike many other graduate students, I've actually never participated in any CRM projects. Um, so, you know, it could be probably my own uh, ignorance about the CRM world outside of what I've learned uh, in, in class. But this period that I'm taking off right now, um, I am considering jobs in and out of archaeology, you know, I'm applying for CRM jobs as well as other office jobs within Washington, D.C., which is where I just moved to. Mm. So it's kind of a blank slate for me, really. I'm just asking you um, to to carry this just a little further because you have made a break here. Uh, do you find that you can transition into another field, that you're prepared to transition in another field? I understand that you have certainly a limited window here because, uh, you know, you're a very young guy. But what other field are you potentially entertaining? Well, as of right now, the the front runner is actually a law school, which may be a bit of a 180 from... Uh, field archaeology, but in the class that we, that Aaron discussed, Archaeology and Contemporary Society, you know, in all the other options that were presented regarding, you know, antiquities and archaeology, you know, legislation was one of them. And I think that there is a lot of good to be done there. So that is one of the potential paths that I've been considering lately. Okay. 
and uh, so, so you left yourself open to a variety of different pathways, um, some of which may tie in or not. Or not. I mean, if you're, you're going into law, then certainly there's a potential that you'll encounter environmental situations, heritage situations. Are you considering that that might be a possibility in which you could sort of merge the two fields? Yeah, that would be actually an, an, you know, an ideal situation. If I could you know, merge both things that I enjoy, then that'd be... You know, best of both worlds, that'd be great. Okay, we're going to have to take another break here, and uh, we will be back with uh, my three special guests, graduate students in archaeology, who are coming up through the processes of a very rigorous training, and we will be back after these words. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Michelle Kors, Six Degrees, is your connected consciousness. Six Degrees is what comes around, goes around radio. Committed to delivering a fresh perspective on thought-provoking, investigative information that can change your life. Six Degrees connects you to the social and emotional scene and is your trusted advisor from finance to romance, mainstream to metaphysical. It's a positive, upbeat look at life, love, and the pursuit of passion. Get connected Saturdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Adoption changes a family forever, for the adopters as well as the adoptees. There are many adjustments that need to be made, from lifestyle to financial, and the personal rewards are unlimited. Listen every week for Your Adoption Coach with Kelly Ellison. We will examine in detail such topics as international and domestic adoption. We will talk with adoption professionals and hear stories about real families adopting. If you've been thinking about adoption or recently began the process, you'll want to tune in to be inspired every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra goarc.com. Now, back to the program. We're back on a very special edition here on Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. And uh, this program in particular uh, concentrates on the student's perspective on where archaeology is going and how uh, the needs and demands of the 21st century are basically changing from what they had traditionally been. And in the course of this break, I was talking to, uh, to Kyle uh, Basinski, who was mentioning some in, in, in a fairly 
strong and accentuated way that mm-hmm. there are ga- gaps in our training and there are gaps in the educational process. And I was actually getting to that. And uh, Kyle, I, I can't uh, put it any better uh, than looking at it from your perspective. Why don't you give me sort of a brief summary of what we had discussed and what you think the uh, positive elements and the deficits of contemporary training programs are as in, in your perspective? Well, it actually builds off what Esteban was talking about before the break, and that's that there are additional skills that are necessary in today's archaeological job market. If the job market is shifting to CRM, then our training needs to shift with that. So we need training in uh, computational skills and data management, more training than is available right now in graduate programs. Perhaps if everybody's going into cultural resource management and private firms, we need business training. We need to know how to balance uh, books and things like that. We don't have that type of training in most programs. And what's interesting is that archaeological graduate programs have actually shifted further and further towards academic training and away from some of those cultural resource management uh, skills. Programs like Washington State University's program that used to have a cultural resource management wing and actual uh, business that was run out of the school no longer have um, that in place. And, and a lot of a lot of large projects, like the Dolores Archaeological Project that used to go to uh, universities are now are now going to private firms and so we need to we need to shift the uh, the training and that could be done in, in multiple ways it could happen in-house but it could also happen by uh, more collaboration with the private sector in uh, in graduate training internships and that sort well, of formalized program let me throw a couple of things at you because I have a, a window and a perspective on this this issue that you've raised that you may not have, and it's it's specifically the the, the issue of time when when uh, mm-hmm. CRM was first sort of emerging. It was very very easy for graduate students to sort of glom on to firms and to glom on to uh, emerging programs in in cultural resources as they were pursuing their uh, graduate training and as a result of that they sort of learned by doing and what happened was that the uh, university-based CRM programs uh, decided that this could be in fact a profit-making sector for their uh, for their departments and of course what inev- inevitably happened was that the universities did not run these programs as a business they were not responsive to budgets they were especially not responsive to timelines and it, it finally sorted itself out that the university simply could not meet the demands of business which considered the CRM responses and the CRM compliance factors something that had to be done in an extremely fi- timely manner and these gradually fell off the tree and and, yeah. and sort of uh, were eliminated so this goes back to a perspective that had been dominant for at least over 20 years and, and, and I think it sort of turned a corner basically in the year 2000 where there was this big question as to whether archaeology is a vocation or whether archaeology is an academic pursuit. So Aaron, since I see that you are very, very um, directed towards an academic perspective, I'd like to get your your, your feelings on this topic and whether or not you see that applied skills actually have to be formally taught 
within a department or whether or not that should sort of be acquired by the student as they're going through their very long training in, in uh, acquiring the basic academic and research skills. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I actually respectfully disagree with both you and Kyle. Um, on what I think is a false dichotomy between what is vocational and what is academic, I don't think they're necessarily divorced from one another. And I, I do think graduate programs are responding to this trend of the, the merging of academia and CRM. Um, and like uh, the Northern Arizona University program turns out a number of uh, incredibly skilled uh master's degree students who are CRM ready and have both um, anthropological archaeology skills and theory-based training as well as practical training and the like. CU uh, Boulder has a dual MBA anthropology degree where students get business training as well as academic um, archaeology training as well. So um, I do think the nature of applied anthropology and archaeology um, makes it necessary that we do field work and learn ceramic typologies and um, osteology and all the sort of elements of that as well. But I do think that the classroom is a unique place to learn and talk about ideas that make archaeology relevant and tangible, and that it's not just all about rocks and stones. And I think the more we merge those two, the better off we're going to be as a profession. And so I actually disagree with that dichotomy of one is applied and one is not. Well, let me ask you this. Are there cross-listings of courses in business and and in marketing that one could take in the program at your institution? Can can that be used to fulfill some some uh, class requirements within? Yes. They uh, are. Yes, sir. You, sh you sure can, and you end up with, a, with an MBA and a master's degree in anthropology. It's a new program, and only a few students have gone through it. Um, but okay. I do think that, that's that it's a really great way to, to, to get into the CRM and academia at the same time. Kyle? Yeah, I was just going to say that that's fantastic. And that I, I, I mean, we do agree, Aaron. That's exactly what needs to go on is those type of programs um, uh, need to be coming online. And I'm glad to hear that CU is doing that. Washington State has not done that thus far. Um, and, and, uh, and we're looking at changes to, to help prepare students. More, but the other, but there's also changes that are probably going to have to occur and that are occurring to some extent um, in the cultural resource management community. Um, these students who are graduating with PhDs, with research PhDs, and going into CRM have a longing to to do academic research um, alongside their positions, and uh, the, a lot of fir firms now are are really embracing that. Um, I think to a greater extent than perhaps they have in the past, although you would be able to speak to this better, Joe. Um, but but the research contributions that have come out of the Animus La Plata project that are going to come out of the Navajo Gala project in the Southwest are, are really major regional contributions. And it's only, I, I think it's only possible because the people who are leading those projects uh, have PhDs in archaeology and are trained in this research tradition um, but are but are are leading these uh, large scale projects. 
Okay, I think I think I think both of you have have uh, very excellent perspectives on this, and I do think, however, that we're seeing a little bit of a lag here. Uh, Esteban, do you want to uh, offer your thoughts on this because you're you're throwing in yet another vision here, and that is perhaps the legal ramifications of this as we move into a much more litig- litigious environment, and one in which clearly preservation is going to be one of the ethic that's going to govern all the work in this field uh, do you see uh, do you see a possible contribution from that uh, from that source yeah I think that I mean I totally agree with Kyle in that um, uh, graduate programs should be far more proactive than they currently are being in regards to the type of applied training that we're receiving um, but at the same time it would be really I mean it would be very difficult to train everybody for every type of analysis Mm-hmm. Or other options that may, you know, that may be handy out there in the field. Uh, is it a structural problem in the universities? Are you thinking, or uh, uh, are are any of you, Aaron, uh, Kyle, Esteban, are you in touch with your contemporaries in other programs, and are you seeing are you seeing that the same trends are being replicated uh, in in different programs across the country, uh, Kyle? Uh, well, I would say I would say that that programs are different. Programs are being receptive to these changes. Uh, the differences between Aaron and my program is a good example, and what's going on down at Northern Arizona University. So, I'm sorry, I didn't quite understand your question. I, I was just saying, I'm, I'm assuming that you know, at, at meetings you have interactions with other contemporaries of your your. Um, in your profession, and that you talk amongst yourselves about what's going on in the, between the de- in, in the various departments. Are you seeing that the same trends are are being replicated in other programs? More of a shift to um, to striking the balance between a CR- CRM and an academic type of training. Are you, do you, I'm sure you go to the SAAs and you talk to your colleagues. Are you uh, interacting with them and finding the same trends? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I do think, however, that, that there are a lot of differences between programs, and there are still programs that exist, and I, I include in this my own, where, um, where there is a big emphasis on training for academia, and, and the, there hasn't been the pragmatism um, in, in many programs. Many advisors uh, think they're training uh, uh, their future academics in these academic programs, and and that's why that's why I do think there needs to be like what seems to be happening at CU uh, a a better um, a better collaboration between the the academic and the private uh, world of archaeology um, more more so than perhaps just students going and getting cultural resource management uh, positions during the summer. I think it needs to be. Um, uh, more of an advising capacity, and that's that's what I would like to see. Um, because also the, the people who own firms, the employers, um, are going to be telling if if there's a better collaboration, then they can tell uh, the programs what what they need. You know, what are the gaps? Uh, and you, your prior uh, guests have talked about this. What are the gaps in graduate education? What do you think people need uh, that they aren't getting yet? Um, when they're coming out of these academic programs, and and I think that communi- that communication can happen better uh, if if we have a closer collaboration during the graduate uh, during the graduate work. 
And on that note, we're going to have to take a, another short break, and we will be back in a couple of minutes after these words. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you a single parent trying to create the balance between home life and work life? You may be running a successful business, but how are your relationships with your family and children? If you're one of the thousands of people trying to juggle it all, Tune in to Straight Up with Chris, real talk on business and parenthood, hosted by Chris FSU. Chris is the portrait of the success story. Coming to the U.S. with no language skills, founding and growing several businesses while raising his daughter from age 7 to adulthood as a single dad. Listen every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host, Jordan Kimmel, is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra goarc.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the program. We're engaged in a lively and animated discussion with three graduate students who are going through the process of uh, becoming professionals and uh, are evolving in um, in, in their uh, careers as they finalize and continue in graduate programs. And I was going to ask, since we have two universities represented here, uh, uh, Esteban Fernandez and Aaron Baxter, uh, you're both at the University of Colorado, correct? Yes. Okay, can I ask you both if you have any idea what the mean uh, time period is from post-BA to PhD, what the duration of that is in your school, or don't, they have, or don't you have a fix on that? It's around six to seven years, I think. Six to seven years. And um, Kyle, what do you know about your program? In archaeology, I'd say six to eight. Okay, so it's 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 basically, and and, and my my sources are telling me it's probably closer to eight. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my question is, and and I'd like to throw this out to each one of you. There used to be when I was uh, studying this sort of thing back in the Pleistocene. Um, 
there was a an introductory course that everybody took called Method in Theory and Archaeology. And where I went to school at the University of Chicago, the, the main focus, I think, you can, you can call it balance, but it really wasn't. There was a really strong emphasis on theory. And in this day and age, as you all seem to know, because you're active, seem to be very, very involved in, in, in method, um, I think we are seeing more and more that in the age of sustainability and the age of limited archaeological excavation and, and in a world in which high tech is, 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 is progressing in leaps and bounds, uh, that there is a clear connection between applied archaeology and the use of technology and uh, method sort of jumps out more I would say than theory Aaron because you have taken a, such an animated position on this which I respect <laughs> and like very much what would you say about that do you think method is going to uh, overtake theory I know that that's a crude way of putting it but uh, I just want to know what your position on that is um, well I, I do I do think there is some people call it a problem. I think it's actually an incredible opportunity that, that archaeology as a study is such a broad-spectrum study that it's absolutely impossible for any one person to know everything, and it's collaborative, just like Esteban was talking about, um, and that technology is actually both um, a hindrance, because it scares the bejeebus out of most of us, but it's actually an incredible way that we're going to be able to collaborate even more effectively than we have before. So I do think technology is the, is the key and not... The, the the gate that's keeping us um, away from doing from doing good archaeology, but I do think that good archaeology is always entrenched in the theoretical perspective and um, the human story, and that is always going to be grounded in solid anthropology that is that is built upon the great theorists of that we study in in school, and so I do think that those two ideas cannot be divorced at all. I'm not saying they should be divorced, but you know, you can you know the you you can the the knowledge explosion is so great that I don't think, as you indicated as well, you can just simply know absolutely everything. And and my feeling is that um, I, I well, it's not my feeling. I, I don't I, I don't want to betray that. Um, but at this point, are you seeing that one element is? Uh, Overreaching at the expense of the other, it, it, I seem to you seem to be a peacemaker type, and you try, try to, to level the playing field. So let me move to Kyle for a second. What are you thinking? Um, you know, I would I, I just have to agree with Erin on what she was saying. I would also uh, I would also say that you know it, it's not a distinction uh, between between method and theory, you know, archaeological theory has always been directed at understanding the data patterns that we have. And since we have a lot more data and, and we have people specializing in different uh, new types of technology, computational approaches, genetics and isotopes, and all these great things, we're just getting more data, but we don't have any organizational framework unless we have that solid theoretical training. Um, and so, uh, and so apart from, apart from archaeological or science, uh, philosophy of science questions about what is knowledge, um, this, this archaeological theory is actually just important in framing questions, organizing those data, um, and, and allowing us to, to answer questions in interesting ways. And so, uh, so they're coming closer together. It's not that, that methods are going to ever trump um, 
theory is that they're going to come closer together. Now, there is a scale of question that you can ask if you have a good methodological training, especially um, in, in these sort of big data computational approaches that we're getting at now. The scale of the question that you can ask is changing, and I think, um, and I think our archaeological training does need to start preparing students to ask large questions um, for, that are appropriate to the large amounts of data that we throw at them. Well, I, I'm glad to hear that we're coming to a meeting of the minds here. I think that's uh, a very productive perspective, and, and I appreciate your very mature perspectives on this because I do think that the convergence of both method and theory is really the key to the future. We have a minute left for each one of you to sort of summarize your views on where archaeology is going and where you see yourself fitting in archaeology. Aaron, why don't you tell us uh, in, in, in one minute where you, you feel your career is going and, and where you think the profession is going? Oh, um, my career is going downhill. I'll be living in my car a year from now. No, I, I think it's. I think there's just ample opportunity. I mean, the the, the sky is the limit, and as archaeologists become more specialized in government and lawmaking and cultural resource management practice, become we become better talking to descendant communities um, and educating the public and teaching young people about the wonders of of the past. I think, I think this. I don't know. The ground's the limit for us. I guess is all there is to say. Esteban? Well, I think that archaeology has been underutilized for the past several decades, and I think it's uh, hopefully it's time that we kind of come back into relevance and, you know, join forces with, with, you know, with academia, with CRM archaeologists, legislators, and everything to, you know, because archaeology really can have a very meaningful role in our society. Kyle? Um, I would just like to say that what Aaron mentioned earlier, our interaction with the public is also changing because of the technological innovations that we have. Because we have a more tech-savvy public, um, we need training in, in the, uh, the technology that allows us to communicate with that public um, from everything from uh, blogging to um, geospatial technologies and maps, visualization. These things are really connecting us with the public and are keeping archaeology relevant. And so that needs to be part of this conversation next time, I suppose. And I just want to conclude by saying I think that these perspectives are extremely enriching, and I'm very hopeful that uh, professors and principals in CRM firms are listening to what the students are saying and begin, begin to incorporate their perspectives in so far as they have to integrate the skill sets that our educators are bringing to the fore in these wonderful students. I think there's a maturation here and I think there's a, a, a much more savvy perspective on the part of students in the professional world and as they move into into actual practice of archaeology than there ever was when I was a student. So I want to thank you all very much for participating in this discussion and I look forward to additional programs on this theme because I think it's critical that we involve the students here. And I want to thank you all so much for doing such a wonderful job. Thank you, and uh, see you all next time, and uh, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. 
Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. Tomorrow. 